episode of My Climate Diet, the podcast where I'm shedding the pounds of greenhouse gas emissions. I'm Lisa Pettibone, and while I've been cooped up to stop corona, I've also been cooking for the climate. Specifically, I've been cooking up vegan treats, and I thought I'd share some thoughts on how to go vegan for those of you who might want to take the plunge. This week's episode was requested by Jason, a regular listener and dear friend. He recently told me that he and his boyfriend are considering going vegan next month after watching The Game Changers, a documentary I strongly, strongly recommend watching. And he said that he thinks it will be easier for them to go vegan now that they are social distancing due to corona because it takes away a lot of the challenges of a diet like veganism, particularly going out, eating with friends, et cetera, et cetera. So I hope that this episode inspires more of you to try going vegan while you're cooped up at home. And also as a friendly reminder, if you've got a burning question, send it my way and I just might address it in a future episode. So first off, I've been vegan since September. So I'm no vegan black belt. Maybe I'm a yellow belt, who knows? But I'm perhaps in a place where I still remember the switch and I can share what I've learned in the past few months of transition. Before I start though, if you're wondering what being vegan has to do with climate change, I recommend going back to episode 24 from last year, Where's the Beef? There I rant about the impact of meat and dairy on the climate. All right. Without further ado, here are eight tips that I have for going vegan. First, learn your options. The first week or two of going vegan is probably the hardest because you don't have the Rolodex of vegan options in your head. My switch was pretty easy because I'd been mostly vegetarian for over a decade and I'd had vegan on the brain. So I knew where in my neighborhood to get good vegan options, and I really liked eating vegan even before I went vegan. So I know where there were good vegan donuts, vegan cupcakes, vegan schnitzel, etc. I also generally uh, understood what going vegan meant I could or couldn't eat or cook. If you've been vegan curious for any length of time, use that to your advantage. If not, go easy on yourself but do start to pay attention and build up your vegan knowledge. Primarily what this means is that at the grocery store, remember that whole foods that aren't meat or dairy-based are generally vegan, even without the label. You don't have to look for that fancy label, which sometimes means the food is just more expensive, but do make a point of checking the ingredient list on anything that you're unfamiliar with. Over time, you'll build up a good memory of knowing, okay, here are the good options and here are the options that also taste really good. When you can go out to eat again, Happy Cow is a cheap app that helps find restaurants and fast food places in your area with vegan options. I've found some real gems on it and it's more than paid for itself. I think it was something like two euro or five euro for me. Two, always have snacks on hand. At the beginning of my transition, I was hungry all the time, like angry level hungry sometimes. I don't know if this was a lack of protein, if this was all in my head, some sort of weird psychological transition to veganism or something in between. 
but I would definitely recommend stocking up on quick vegan snacks. Fortunately, there are tons of options here. Nuts are a personal favorite choice. Peanut butter, eating with a spoon directly out of the jar, also amazing. Or anything else that's high protein and high calorie. I found some very interesting vegan sausage sticks made of pumpkin seeds that I really, really love. And those kind of double as a guilty pleasure for me, especially when I would travel. I would love to have one or two in the backpack just in case. Key here to these snacks is you want something that you can grab in a moment of, good God, I'm starving. And that's easier and more appealing than whatever non-vegan option is available to hand. Some people are really good with apples and fruits. For some reason, I although I like fruits, they don't fill me up. So this is why I recommend the nuts. My third tip is learn to cook your favorite foods. Now for me, when I went vegan, it was for ethical reasons. So I knew I was in it for the long haul. This wasn't some one month long experiment or something. And that meant that if I wanted to stay on my vegan path, I needed to make sure that I didn't miss the non-vegan lifestyle. So in the first few months, I perfected recipes for some of the things that I really like to cook, particularly pancakes and scrambled eggs. I've got vegan pancakes that taste just as good as regular pancakes. And the bonus is I don't have to worry about having eggs around because I have a giant jar of egg replacer that works very, very well. Eggs have been really tricky for me. I know a lot of people who go vegan miss cheese, but I find that cheese substitutes are just fine and dandy for me. And I find myself needing them less than the cheese that I ate before. But for me, eggs and particularly scrambled eggs were something that was a real challenge to substitute for. So my tips, if you are a big egg fan, is look for an Indian salt called kala namak and nutritional yeast. You can find these in fancy organic markets. You can also probably get them online and they are worth their weight in gold if you're an egg fanatic. Kalanamak, interestingly enough, if you open up a package of it, it smells like eggs. No idea how they manage this. This is the natural property of the salt. But if you put it on pan-fried tofu, it tastes to me enough like scrambled egg that I'm good to go. So find these things and use them. And if you have different favorite foods, As you experiment with cooking vegan versions of them, you'll find the substitutes that really make those favorite foods sing. My fourth tip is learn to cook naturally vegan foods. I find that this is a really good thing to do, especially since the rest of my family is not vegan, because it makes it so that I'm not jumping through a lot of hoops or substituting out the real thing for a fake version. It's also great when I'm cooking for others because then I don't have to justify the fact that it's vegan. A great example here is hummus. Hummus is naturally vegan. You're not gonna put milk, eggs, or meat in there. So if you can make a great dish of hummus, then you're already ahead of the game. Also, more generally, if you're going vegan, it's a huge win for your health because you can easily force yourself to eat more 
fruits, veggies, beans, and legumes. And by cutting out meat and dairy, you're cutting out lots of the bad fats and processed foods you shouldn't be eating in the first place. So I've found that the naturally vegan recipes that I've gotten good at making are just really, really healthy meals. At the same time, tip number five is find the vegan guilty pleasures that you need so that you don't feel deprived. I have a big sweet tooth, so I've become a regular at the vegan donut place near me, and I've also acquainted myself with Ben and Jerry's vegan ice cream flavors. I've also warmed up to sorbets, which is a big deal for me because I'm generally opposed to fruits in principle when they're in desserts. Of course, vegan cookies are a godsend and something even non-vegans should get into, if only because you can make and eat a whole bowl of cookie dough without fear of salmonella. Whatever your guilty pleasure is, make sure you can find that vegan version of it so you don't backslide in a weak moment. Sixth, especially in the transition, I recommend finding and taking a vitamin supplement for peace of mind. More recently, the research that I've been reading says that vegans are not actually as at risk of being calcium and B12 deficient as previously thought. At the same time, you really don't want to try a new diet and risk negatively affecting your health because you're missing some key vitamin. So here, a vegan-oriented vitamin supplement takes care of all of the guesswork. Seventh, this isn't really a tip, but this is definitely something I noticed in my transition, and it became part of the transition that I needed to work through as well, is that as you go, you're going to find yourself refining precisely what veganism means to you. So for me, the first example of this was when I went to my then favorite pizza place with my family. I tried to order a vegetable pizza with no cheese, and the woman behind the counter told me that there was milk in the dough. There was literally no vegan food option at this place. So what was I to do? This was really the first case for me of a challenge to my vegan switch. I decided to order the pizza with no cheese, figuring the tiny bit of milk in the dough was negligible and that anything else would really disrupt the eating experience for me and my family. We planned to eat there and I couldn't really go somewhere else, order food, bring it back or order food, eat it somewhere else, not order food and not have food while my family was eating, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, then my pizza came with cheese. Needless to say, this really, really bothered me, but I also saw it as a test. I said to myself, well, what does this mean? If I eat this, am I suddenly not a vegan? Is it the better option to give it back, to throw it in the trash? I went through all of my options and figured out what are my priorities and what are my principles. And in the end, I ate the pizza. I have to admit that it tasted better than it would have without cheese, but I was actually pleasantly surprised to find I did not enjoy it. And my calculation in coming to this decision was that they would throw out the pizza if I had refused it, which meant food waste and animal suffering, which I had wanted to avoid in the first place. Now, I understand all the other factors I could have considered, but that's the way I went. 
So for me, I order vegan food, I cook vegan food for me, but since I have a toddler, I let him eat what he likes. And then sometimes I'll finish up a bowl of cereal with honey in it so that it doesn't go in the trash. That's where my values have come down to. You'll find as you transition to veganism that you'll have your own hierarchy of values for yourself that includes things like food waste, how do you accommodate others? How do you ask others to accommodate you, for example, at a barbecue or at a friend's house? And how do you deal with gifts? What do you do when a friend gives you milk chocolate on your birthday? Your answer might be different from mine, but then again, I never liked milk chocolate. Finally, it helps when you're thinking about eating something non-vegan. When you have those moments of weakness, despite your snacks, despite your guilty pleasures, despite your newfound ability to cook vegan versions of all your favorite foods, when you're in that moment of weakness, remind yourself why you went vegan in the first place. For me, it was the ethical argument. Even products that don't kill the animals involved to use their meat, make them suffer in sometimes brutal ways, and also lead to the death of other animals such as the male offspring of dairy cows. For Jason, my understanding is that you're going vegan for your health. So here you can rest assured that the vegan option is usually healthier than the non-vegan one. I made an awesome mac and cheese a few weeks ago where the cheese sauce consisted of carrots, potatoes, garlic, and a little bit of soy milk. It tasted just as sinful as the quote unquote real thing, And it had tons of hidden vitamins. So whatever your reason is for being vegan, don't forget it if you ever find yourself in a dark place and considering taking a bite of a hamburger or worse. Good luck and keep me posted. What's giving me hope this week? Um, these last few weeks have been very hard for me. I cannot lie particularly the stunning lack of free time I have in the corona reality where there is no keto and I have to work just as much, if not more, and also take care of my son during the day. But one thing that is giving me hope is to see all of the voices talking about coronavirus and climate change and talking about coronavirus and degrowth. And talking about coronavirus as a way to get us to a better place after this crisis is over. One thing I have to admit of the last few weeks is I have so much less time on my hands that I haven't been able to read most of the articles that I've seen. You can imagine I have dozens of tabs open on my web browser waiting for my next free moment. And I'm very excited to take a deeper dive reading all of these visions of the future and reading all of these appeals to policy changes, personal changes, societal changes that address coronavirus and the climate crisis at the same time. So that's giving me hope, even if it's not totally getting me to where I need to be in these very challenging times. On the next episode, I am working to set up some interviews that I would I am going to try to use on the podcast. I will keep you posted on that, but hopefully you won't have to wait as long for the next episode as you did for this one. At any rate, I'm still around. I'm still checking email. 
I would love to hear from you. Stay safe. Stay sane. See you soon. This podcast is a labor of love. And you can show me you care by telling me why you listen at lisa at myclimatediet.org. Thanks to David from Quince for letting me use his wonderful music. And if you want to stay up to date, follow me on Twitter at Lisa Pettibone. And don't forget to rate My Climate Diet on Apple Podcasts. That makes it easier for other people to find me and start their own climate diet. Because if everyone went on a climate diet, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Oh,